0: Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the Iffy Market Podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data and JoTo PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy. This is Carla Jo Helms.
1: Hi, guys.
0: And today we'll be talking with Keith Bailey of Articulated Intelligence about storytelling and how to prevent audience abuse. Personally, Keith moonlights as feline hairstylist. Once a month, he shaves his two cats, Feets and Mongo because he loves cats but hates hair. Professionally, <laughs> Keith is the founder of Articulated Intelligence, where he helps prevent business professionals from committing unintentional audience abuse. Keith, thanks for coming on the show today.
2: It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Sky, KJ. It's a pleasure. Keith,
1: I love your hobby and <laughs> audience abuse. I want to hear about this. I want to... <laughs> Let's talk about abusing our. Audience. You don't want to hear about
2: cats. <laughs> I do actually. I love
1: cats. Your cats are they like Maine Coons or something really hairy? They like to be shaved.
2: No, they're just regular farm cats. Uh, but you know, they 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 shed. Yeah. And, and you're like, ugh, can't do it. And, yeah,
1: regular
0: farm cats. I've never heard that term.
2: Good old, good old fashioned farm.
1: Yeah, chasing those mice.
0: I've never heard of yeah. shaving a cat. It sounds like an expression. Like that's about as easy as shaving a cat.
1: I used to <laughs> shave our man Coon. Uh Well, he was a big, he was a big ass cat. Lots of hair.
2: That's a big cat to yeah. shave. That's like a small lion.
1: He was twenty five pounds, and he was um, as long. Uh, you'd hold him. He was as long as our like couch pillow, right? Like a stand. One mm-hmm. of the. He was just huge, and um. Yeah, in the hot summer months, we'd shave him. He loved it. He looked like a lion. We shaved him like a lion. Yeah. It's kind of funny.
0: How did but- I get into my 40s and I have never once heard anybody referencing shaving a cat?
2: <laughs> that's so
0: bizarre. I didn't know. know it was possible. There
1: you go. It's possible. But
2: <laughs> I do love I love your reference of like, you know, that's as easy as shaving a cat, which <laughs> yeah. if you take a cat that's never been shorn before and try to shave it, you are in for the fight of your life because they they freak out like we started with our cats when they were little tiny kittens you bring the clippers in and i call my clipping clients i have a video somewhere (laughs) on youtube which is instructional
1: they probably love it they do they're like dad's gonna clip us now
0: you know that's going into the show notes right the youtube video of you shaving a cat
1: he's a cat he's a cat shaver
2: I call him my clipping clients. Clipping
1: clients, cat shaver extraordinaire. He's the best. You know what? You should be wearing this t shirt. The best cat dad ever. Yeah. (laughs) A cat
0: dad. Another thing I never heard of before.
1: Cat dad. Yeah.
0: Already, I've had so many takeaways from this show. Um, Let's refocus, though. Enough cat talk. All right. Let's get down to the storytelling and how to prevent audience Mm -hmm. abuse. That was
1: a storytelling.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Good point. Nobody, nobody's forgetting Keith Bailey now.
1: No. Mm
2: -mm. And that's part of the, you know, what's, what's the reason, I guess, why, why storytelling and storytelling is to be relatable it's to be memorable and to be able to have a lasting impact and stories is the easiest ways that we can build levels of trust because through all of us, the three of us, we've spent a short time together, but just this little commonality, right. It's in what's most most common is oftentimes most universal. What's most personal is most universal. Just this little story and anecdote of cat shaving elevates the level of trust and understanding between the three of us. And now
0: you're a human, and yeah.
2: In, right, and in business, that is such a critical component. How can I- It's huge. Develop a level of trust. Yeah,
1: it's huge. Well, I definitely trust you now because you're a cat shaver
0: it makes me think a little bit like silence of the lambs like oh you're telling them stories so so they it humanizes you and now it's harder for them to kill you um, <laughs> it's harder for them to ignore your marketing message now cuz you're okay, you're a real funny. human just like them only you
1: um, <laughs> only you silence of the lambs
0: <laughs> i don't know how i made that connection but um so storytelling i mean that's the oldest way of communication and and getting messages across right we have all these all these ancient stories that were really mechanisms for passing on not the thing that actually happened but all kinds of messages maybe because we didn't have books and we didn't have podcasts and (laughs) cable tv social media um so with marketing uh let's we've got the the relatable memorable lasting impact of stories great can you give some examples of how how it works with storytelling though, how deep are you talking about with the story? Is this like two sentences that puts a story across, or are we getting into a full uh um, Moby Dick here?
2: You know, it if you're if you're uh landing a pitch, let's say you're in a networking situation and you somebody asks you the the, the most horrible question I believe exists, which is what do you do? if you just give your job title there's, there's there's no connection there and and the foundation of relationship hasn't been established and if we have to go on the fact that i'm i'm a dentist and and you're a lawyer no no offense to dentists or lawyers but if we don't connect there the, the conversation's right. over my
0: new answer is i shave cats
1: well what yeah. if you're like your title is cat shaver yeah. doesn't that automatically open up like okay i gotta talk to this guy who is this guy
2: Okay. Yes, I, I 100% agree with you. If, you've, if you're in a networking situation, you have a few moments to throw a pitch. Um, and that pitch has something that has a hook yeah. to it. Like I'm a cat. My wife, actually, if somebody asks her, what does she do? She is a jam cracker.
1: A jam cracker.
2: Exactly, for that reason, Cassidy, is that, is that it, it gets you to react. What's right. a jam cracker?
0: To- somebody who so cracks jam jams, cracker, you know.
2: It, exactly, so what <laughs> happens is is Going down the river, logs get pointing different directions, and they cause a jam. Her and her team of jam crackers get together, and they'll get on opposite logs, spin them in opposite directions to unfurl them and get them back moving down the river. Jam cracker,
1: case cracker.
0: I thought she was the one who opens jars in your house.
1: I seriously was thinking (laughs) jam and crackers, and I was like, "What's a jam?" Like, seriously, went there.
2: But that's a huge part of stories as well. Is that it? It it your audience, whether it's an audience of one or audience of many, jumps off and has their own vision. It paints a picture in the mind's eye, which is what we want to do with words. Which is what we do with words. When we say words like jam cracker, it paints a picture. It makes you more memorable. Yes. So when when you do that in a networking situation, like my lead, if somebody asks me what do I do, I don't start with what I do. I follow Simon Sinek's model of. People are more interested in why you do what you do than what you do. And I explained that I prevent unintentional audience abuse. Mm. the unintentional is critical in that because people don't mean to abuse their audiences. They do it unintentionally. They, um, they, ah, uh, they never get to the point. They, they read, you know, the note cards that they have or the PowerPoint that has all the words on it. Those are all forms of unintentional audience abuse. And basically what I do is I, teach you how to find stories, how to tap back into uh, the experiences that make you who you are, find a relatable story, shape it for impact, and then be able to tell the story.
0: So That's a good, um, you gave kind of a loose example there, but can you give some examples of audience abuse? Like what are people doing so they can say, oops, yeah, I do that. I should stop that. Good idea.
2: Just delivering content, right? Just giving you the facts and the figures. That, that's all that comes. Those out. are features,
1: and- you know, and like not like people don't even know who you are. No that's why
0: we work hard to give no facts and figures in our podcast. <laughs>
1: You Those know, I steps. come from a, a, a deep Southern family and they're always talking in colorful euphemisms and idioms and story, you know, and it, it, it is storytelling, you know, if they're really pissed off at someone they're they're not going to say God, that, you know, it, that really made me mad. They're going to say, you know, I wouldn't spit down their a- I wouldn't spit down their throat if their ass was on fire or something. And <laughs> you think about that, and you're like, yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. You must be really ticked off at them. Also, that like, would
0: be a terrible way of putting out the fire. I don't know how it would work. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't. It Doesn't make
2: sense. But it,
1: ke- it, it does keep you engaged, <laughs> right? and they just roll this off. Like you know, it's not like they have a book at. I. You have to be bo- I was born into it, but I didn't get that gift. Right.
0: I think half of those southern things are made up. They're just like can't shave a cat on Tuesday if you shave him on Wednesday. <laughs> And you're like that doesn't but make any story sense.
1: time. I think they make it up too, yeah. right? Sometimes I would hear it and I'd be like, Where did you get that? I don't know. Yeah.
0: So if they slap their knee afterward, it seems like, that's like two dogs in the wind. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> You're just saying things and slapping your knee. Come on.
1: But there's no audience abuse there. People are like seriously engaged with it. Even if they...
0: <laughs> Does make you think, yeah. yeah
2: they're, they're, they're setting those hooks and keeping you engaged. And, and Scott, you asked the question, like, what are some examples? I'll give you the, one of the worst examples okay. that I experienced in my corporate life. It was a product designer. She had an incredible accent. Which anybody with an accent, the audience already endears to is endeared to you, and they give you permission. It's true. Why is that? An because it's because because they're trying to speak our language, and unless you're French, you appreciate it.
1: Well, I can see it, <laughs> I can throw in my southern accent and talk like a little bit <laughs> little bit southern here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's, it's true. a national sales meeting. There's 200 sales reps in the building, and the product designer has to explain the product. She puts up a PowerPoint that has some pictures, but every single word that she proceeds to not only read to the audience, but she grabs a chair, sits down in the front row with her back to everybody, and then reads the slide. That is like on a scale of one to 10, a 12 on unintentional audience abuse. And the reason she does she, is because she's so Yeah,
1: nervous. I was gonna say, is she nervous? She's so oh, that's bad. Yeah.
0: Is that just lack of preparation? Cause it doesn't seem like she practiced that 20 times. That's just,
2: it's a fear of standing in front of people for, uh, for like, they just, it it, it grips and people feel that they're so oftentimes we're so close to the product that we can't step away from all the facts and the figures and and the details. We get mired in those details. Mm. Yeah. And uh, a a case in point, I had an opportunity to work with, she is a, uh, uh, a doctor with uh, an a professor of applied mathematics and statistical research and gene therapy research, mm. a brilliant, brilliant woman, and she had to give a presentation where she needed to connect with the common people, lay people, not her, not in her industry. She's like, "I've got all this data. I don't know how to express this." So what we end up doing is looking back over her entire life and experiences, finding stories and then tying all those stories into the data and the facts and figures. So she would tell a short story and then she would attach the content. Yeah, and I
1: bet because she is so intelligent and with with what she does, she has a lot of good stories in relation to her data. I guess people don't really think about that. Like they have a wealth of stories. Oh, a life Yeah, Yeah. What about, I
0: do see a lot of companies that seem like they will make up a story for their commercial. They'll say, and we've done this in my company in the past, like, hey, this is Joe, and he has this issue, and here's what he did, and this solved the problem, and yay, everybody's happy at the end. Is that a, a good use of storytelling as well?
2: It's, it's a use. It's, <laughs> it's effective. Especially, especially well, if, as, as a business, we build out personas, right? For our business, we have who is our perfect client. We give them a name. We, we, we give right. them a whole backstory, right. and then we're able to form a story around that. That's completely doable. Yeah. The, uh, the work that we do is is actually tapping into your personal story well and pulling those stories out. And it is, once you get in the practice of doing that, of looking back into what's known as the limbic mind. A bit of what is it? So the the limbic what mind? mind? Also, the limbic, limbic mind, L-I-M-B-I-C. It's also known as the mind's eye. Okay. And it's also known as the... Um, gonna, limbic. The limbic, limbic mind. Two names is
0: good enough. You don't have to remember all of them.
2: <laughs> uh, there's actually in, in Egypt, you've got the eye of Huron, I believe it is, and it is actually shaped like the limbic brain because it's got the eyebrow and it's got a piece that comes down, but in the limbic brain, in the limbic mind it actually sits in the, in the very center of our head, there's no words, there's only memories, experiences, feelings, and the way things are stored there is in the form of pictures, Right? Like, oh, I can think back and I can totally see this happening to me. So we think in pictures, we dream in pictures, uh, a picture's worth a thousand words. When we tell the good story, we're painting a mental picture for our audience. And if that story is a personal story, and if it's, a, if it's a common story, let's say it's a story about a teacher, it's about a mentor, it's about a boss, it's about a business, it's about cats, those are things your audience can relate with. When you start talking about, well, in the time that I landed on the moon, you've lost your audience. Or the time I to across Antarctica, your audience can't relate to that. So if Unless tell you're that like,
1: person- you know, uh, an explorer, right? I'm just looking at limbic. I'm looking where that word comes from and stuff. I'm definitely paying attention. But if if it was a bunch of explorers and you were talking about your trucker, like, it depends on your audience, right?
2: Exactly. Right. Know, know your audience. Right. Absolutely. But
1: anyway, go ahead. Sorry I interrupted you. It has to be relatable to where their, at least some of their experiences can like relate to it. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yep.
2: <clears throat> yeah. And there's a, uh, a professional speaker that I, that I follow and I, I love his work. His name is Matthew Dix and he is the moth story slam winningest grand slam champion. I think he's won it like 30 some times.
0: That was a very wordy title.
1: What was it?
0: <laughs>
2: his name is Matthew Dix. And he wrote a book called story worthy. And it is to me a, one of the best examples of how to find stories, how to craft stories and how to tell stories. And one of the things that he speaks to that has really been an eye opener for me of, of when I help people with their storytelling is every good story has a five second moment in time where something happens. And you as the storyteller, your objective is to get your audience as close to that five second moment in time as you possibly can. And then explain the five, tell the five second story, five second moment. And then what does that mean to you? Right? What, what is, what is the meaning behind that? When we tell it in real time, the audience is in, if it's in a car or if you're, you know, on a plane, or if you're in New York, wherever you are, your audience is there with you. You take them through the moment, they're experiencing the moment themselves. In real time, and then you deliver upon the meaning behind it. Like the stories is one of the best ways to to persuade your audience, because if you tell the story, it's relatable. It's in real time; they're experiencing the same thing you are. So when you arrive at the conclusion, they arrive at the same conclusion.
1: So it's kind of like you know, um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Like the the uh, I completely lost my thought. <laughs>
0: I'll jump jump in and save you. It's like, um, I mean, are you almost cheating and taking advantage of the fact that our brains were programmed early on for stories and to follow the story. And it's kind of like when you watch a sitcom or something like that, especially all the stories you watched as children were these frequently these BS children's stories. Um, And you start to take that whatever happens is true So you'll think in the real world, like, hey, this is what happened in Friends in 1994. So this is how things work. Because remember this story? And you're like, that was fictional. Um, So there's all these fictional stories. And we, we tend to see the movies we watch and stuff. And then you'll see people in arguments using movies and TV shows as like proof of an argument. And you're like that, yeah. that was pure fiction that only happened that way for the plot line or or, or whatever. But for some reason, our brains follow the story because, like you said, once you buy in, you say, Okay, I'm in on this story, so now wherever it goes, that that's happening, it happened because I'm uh, you know, I, I'm in, in on it, even if it's just totally made up. Yeah, so a little bit cheating. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't think so. I don't think so. It, if you live your life in front of a TV and all of your experiences are, uh, voyeurist of, of, of like uh, spectator nonfiction, yeah right uh, sorry of, of fiction a spectator of fiction and that's all you can draw upon you're lacking some life experiences and you're also not necessarily looking into your own life perhaps you're guarding you yeah it's like it's only
1: secondhand shadow. knowledge right it's not firsthand yeah.
2: I don't think it's cheating when I share with you a personal story, like the time that I lost my friend. That's why I am part of the reason why I do what I do is because of this experience. Right.
0: I, I guess uh, I don't mean cheating as a bad thing. I mean, call it, call it a shortcut. Oh. <laughs> a um, hack? Yeah. A
1: hack. A hack. Let's but call it a hack. hack.
0: You're taking advantage yeah. of how the brain works and using stories to lead people where you want them to be rather than abuse them with some boring crap. They don't really want to pay attention to exactly yeah so in your example in your story with the woman who sat down in the front row and read the slides <laughs>
1: God, did um, everybody go to sleep or leave
2: what yeah it's dark in there and you couldn't leave because it's a national sales meeting. but yeah it was it was
1: that was brutal do
2: that what would you recommend you get, she have where done? you
1: feel that you know that sensation of being embarrassed for someone that's a weird feeling isn't it yeah <laughs>
2: Well, this is what happens is when you unintentionally abuse your audience is all the audience wants. And I think this is probably the, as, as a speaker and a storyteller and a coach, this is probably the one of the, the, the second biggest gift that I can give you. The second biggest I can give you is that to know that the audience always wants you to win. They are rooting for you.
1: It is so true. Like,
2: you can do this, man. We believe in you, please. And when you stand up there and you don't give them what they need you're they're in pain you know that you're bombing so now you're in pain and, and it just makes for really painful situations yeah, yeah i guess yeah. nobody
0: goes to a movie hoping it's crappy
2: <laughs> exactly exactly and there is there's a professional speaker uh by the name of hillary blair and she imparted these words upon me one time when i was sitting in a, a session with her there's a direct correlation between a professional speaker and a professional athlete A professional athlete spends more time scrimmaging and reading the playbook than they ever do playing the actual game. If you want to become a good speaker, you should employ the exact same practices. And that's what we do. We are in a constant state of of showing people how to search for stories, how to shape that story. And then we share the story. And the story needs to be shared out loud.
0: Right. I think they say something like you win at practice, the game just kind of shows who practiced. Like that, that's all it really is. All the effort yeah. goes into the practice.
1: Well, you know, that's the same in, you know, PR, 90% of our success is in the planning It's behind the scenes. Because once the stuff rolls off in the public opinion arena, you've got like, you know, seconds, minutes.
0: See, I learned from TV shows as a kid that, that I was the most important one. So whatever happened at the end of the day, some miracle would happen and I would just win at the presentation or at born? the sport or at the whatever. <laughs> That's just kind of how everything's shown. People would just show up and everybody would have a big party and I'd be the winner. That's that's what I learned. I saw that I same that-
2: Saved by the Bell episode, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's a lot of movies. I actually have problems. If I see that in a movie, I won't let my kids watch it because I'm like, oh, it's teaching them that... This guy did all the hard work, but he's the bad guy. So he's going to lose anyway. And this person was screwing around and playing. But in the end, since he's the good guy, everybody's going to magically come together and and he'll win. And I'm just like, no, that's not how life works. Don't want to learn that message. You have to Mm -hmm. actually do all the work. Not a two second montage at the last minute. This guy's been busting his butt the whole time. It's you got to actually do the work. Sorry.
1: I agree.
2: You know, Scott, you asked the, the question of, of what what could she have done to yeah. have avoided this? Is
1: not do the presentation? Have somebody else do it? <laughs> but don't
2: don't don't go at it alone. Yeah. And don't let don't let that first time doing it be your first time doing it. Right? You want you want to practice these things. You want to stage these, especially if you're going to give a presentation delivery, uh, inaugural address yesterday. How many times do you think Biden? practice that, the coaches that he stood in front of, the times it was rewritten and rehearsed and over and over and over again until he was able to deliver it with as much passion and impact as what he
1: yeah, did. Yeah, right. of course, they, they drill debates, yeah.
2: There's very few people who can step up and do their first presentation and, and nail it the first time through. So with that is bring other people into it. If you're not comfortable with this, perhaps bring people from your team in to to do portions of it.
1: Right.
0: Or you can do what right. we do on this podcast. We set it up as an improv thing to have as little prep as possible and still hope it works out. <laughs> and then- we but We have
1: that. So we're, yeah, yeah, we have practiced it.
0: We practice constantly every week when yeah. we record an episode. We're practicing the skills of having some minimal notes and having a guest who knows their stuff. And um, But
1: you're building a climax and you get to the crescendo. And is that that five second thing? And then it's like, what does that mean to me?
2: There's a, there's an infinite way of, of shaping stories. I had I, my background is also in health and wellness, and I studied under a uh, a, a Muay Thai coach, and he told me he's like Keith. He, he's like in in Muay Thai, there is a finite amount of uh, of movements, but there's an infinite amount of combination. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you could do like, your five second in this- the beginning. I don't know.
2: Right. So in, in storytelling, there, there's a thing known as circular reference. So we're going to finish where we started. So we uh, deliver the message of this is what you're going to learn today. Then I give you the story and then I loop it back in again. And you know, now, you know, this This is what you've learned. Uh, there are stories that start in that right in that five second moment of time, and then take a pause and we do a reflect back.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right.
2: We look, we look back and then, then we pick back up again and we move forward. So there is, a, there's, there isn't one way that you can do
1: And that's this. where the practice comes in, right? If you're doing it live.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that we've also created is we've, we've gamified the process because games are fun. Yeah. So what we do is we approach it from a, uh, just a really fun, playful standpoint. And when that happens is your limbic mind opens up because it's creative. And the stories that come out are uh, just a lot better. And people don't have a tendency to, to, to get, you know, that writer's block or I cramp up. I can't think of anything good because when you stress out, limbic brain shuts down, neocortex fires up and it's fight or flight, which is what's happening on that stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, so
2: we've created- you seem
0: like you're using all of the uh, caveman things. I mean, you've got the storytelling, you got the fight or flight uh, that you're trying to stay away from, but then you have um, this, uh, this positive reinforcement um, of the, the reward uh, uh yep. with, with gamification.
2: Yeah. you in, uh, know, in, in my days of uh, personal training, I, I learned that 80% of it is the mental reprogramming and 20% is the actual picking
1: up. Yeah. Things.
2: And it's the same thing with, with coaching is I, I show you the way and I give you the permissions because you own the stories. So I just help you shape them and add a few details to it. And, it, and it's your story. And what's really fun about storytelling is you're going to tell it different every single time. The the biggest thing that we've created is, I, I believe, right. it's a big statement, I believe that writing for reading and writing for speaking are on opposite sides of the same communication coin. They're both meant to get a message across. When we write for reading, it's one dimensional. It's words on a page that are shaped and crafted with punctuation into sentences and paragraphs and a chapter's message. Speaking is dynamic. Body language, vocal inflection, words, yes but it's dynamic. Yet most people will sit down to write their speech the same way they write an email, a white paper, and a business plan. So what you end up with is content. The person never shows up.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Our methodology of of writing for speaking is speaking or is writing the same way that we think, which is in pictures. So we use words to craft pictures in our mind's eye. And because a story is about a five second moment in time, all you have to do is get out of your head into your body is when you step up on that stage is take a deep breath and go back into that moment in time and tell the story as it is there and you as your authentic self will show up every single time and the audience will love
0: you so that's why it's going to be a little different every time it's not written word for word it's a
1: great great stable datum it's really good
0: so yeah. yeah, I think I accidentally did this because I'm a terrible reader. So if I was to write out a presentation, I couldn't possibly read it um, and and come off decent <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I would lose my spot on the page, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I started just writing down very key points, sometimes just one word to help me on to the next subject and transition from here to there. And then once you have it all in your head and you know what you're talking about, it's like, Oh yeah, I can just talk about that. I know the word. Oh, yep. Here's a reminder of the next thing to get to e- easy enough. And then, re- you know, rely on the practice, I guess. And the, if you need to know any stats, maybe you got to write those down.
2: Sure. Uh, that, and that's what a slide can be for is to have that visual and uh, you see hear it and you see it as well, but it's both having every single word in there and you hit upon something. So the, writing for speaking technique that we've created, it's called with one word. And we actually use one word to tap into your limbic mind to find stories and experiences. And then we pull those forth, we shape and we craft the story on on a storyboard and we're able to see scene one, scene two, scene three message. And what's really fun is once you visualize, you see what your story looks like, then we ask the what if question. Well, what if we start with scene three? And then we do scene one, scene two, and message. Or what if we start with
1: message? Oh, how do you come up with the one word?
2: Um, I was, when I left corporate America and I started this business to help coach, I was working with uh, Holland and Hart, which is a, a law firm yeah. here in Denver, Colorado. I was working with Prologis and with Danone, working with some of the executive team. And they would come to me, like, I've got this presentation I need to get this message across and this message across. I need to communicate this and communicate this. I'm like, all right. Let's boil it down. Let's reverse engineer what is the one word that you would use to describe the message you're delivering. And like, well, it's it's this word, this word, and this word. I'm like, that's three. Your audience is not gonna remember that. Another form of audience abuse. If you're trying to cram like five different messages down somebody's throat, they're not gonna remember any of them. Pick one and then through circle reference, you keep coming back to the one. You tell an anecdotal story about the one thing you want them to take away. You show stats and, and uh, content for, for the one thing you want them to take away. You have perhaps a little audience participation that reinforces the one thing you want them to take so away. So it's a description a- about
1: what you want them to take away or about what you want them to take away. And then you pare that down and pare that down to a cons- to a concept that really embodies what this story is gonna be a- about.
2: Correct. Okay. And so I was reverse engineering it down to one word. And then one day I was out for a run and like Einstein, while he thought of the theory of relativity, I thought of, well, what if, what if we were to just start with one word and let's go look for stories because everybody has the content, they have the data, they don't have the stories and we can take the most common story and be able to mold it and shape it to attach a meaning and a message to it. So you have all of your content. What I do is I come in and, Let's just go hunt for stories. Let's have fun. Let's just go find some Storytelling really fun is stories.
1: Fine. Well, it'd be really great if companies had their branding intact. They could come up with that one word pretty easily, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So is, that, is yeah. that one word a trigger for, for you as the person presenting, telling the story, helping you to write the content, whether it's spoken or content, I suppose? Or is that one word that you want the audience to absorb or both?
2: yeah <laughs> uh, yes. what, what you're your, your trying what is your objective in the communication that you're delivering? And oftentimes when we start out in just looking for stories and being understand is really a huge part of it is teaching someone how to look at life through the lens of a storyteller. And the best way we can do that is to go back in our mind's eye and look at some of the experiences that you've had. And to be able to shape and mold those this is what a story looks like so moving forward as things happen to you you're like it's a really good story
1: <laughs> i think that, i think really good storytelling uh tellers from what i've seen and you know my family are good storytellers right is that they know their audience and they gauge their audience like i've seen you know another thing about southerners is they'll tell the same damn story over and over and over but it, you know it does make up impact right but they'll change it for the audience right like
0: the fish who, keeps getting bigger <laughs> you know <laughs> or what
1: they emphasize or something like that I've really noticed that about good storytellers right
0: oh right right this yeah. the story is a story but different parts in it will appeal to different audiences maybe
1: and they know that yeah Like, I'm going to
0: downplay this part for for Nana, but I'll upplay this
2: part. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think people that are at the pinnacle of story crafting are uh, comedians.
1: Oh my gosh. Wouldn't you want to be like in the room on some of these like shows or sitcoms of the writers when they come up with stuff, right? I think
0: also people think comedians that it's a story and they just throw it out and it's funny because they're funny. And I don't think they realize. How much practice in retelling and, and work it is making and do. work goes into these and that i live in la and back when we could go out like comedians gonna have a special all the all the comic houses in la they'd be going in on weekdays and for six months ahead of time practicing this story and if you saw it the first night and you saw the special, it's a different story. Cause they figure, oh, this works mm-hmm. this way. And that works that way. Let me twist this around. Let me change that. Yeah. Like they are telling a story, even it's about, Hey, here's what I did last week. I didn't do that last week. It's a story. It's a, it's a, you know, it's comedy.
1: I'm sure it started with something, something real though. Right. Yeah.
2: There there's a basis of it, of, of reality, yeah. it, but they're all working together. They've got a, a, you know, a group of writers that they work with that they uh, collaborate with. Uh, I was watching an interview by Ricky Gervais, and he was talking about one of his methodologies. He'll start a tour that's six months long, and he'll start at the very beginning with like, "I want to try these things, and I want to try these things." And then he'll deliver for a night. He's got people in the audience. They're like, "People responded to this really well." They did they with this, and they he keeps tweaking it and tweaking it. Where at the end of the six months, he has a special.
1: Yeah, you
2: know? and that's the one you get to see, and it has a laugh. You know, every so many seconds, and it's absolutely hilarious well his first one was good but it's not as the last one Yeah,
0: he'd done some prep on the first but he can't really audience test it and work it over and work it over and that's where people think again what's the laziest occupation out there oh comedians they wake up at 7 p.m no go out way. to the club drink and like not the good ones are actually working very hard to present this thing that seems really natural and like they're just and
1: up also between their sets right they're like constantly like an artist
2: Constantly tweeting. Yeah. Right. And as, as business professionals, a question I get asked is like, well, where can we go and practice this? And for me, I've been a member of Toastmasters for the last eight years. It's not a cult, I promise. <laughs> Toastmasters. Do you,
1: I, you know, I've heard people talk about Toastmasters. Have you really gotten a lot out of it? Obviously, you're yes. still in it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And then the, reason, the reason, probably the biggest thing that I've gotten out of it is the skill set that most people need to develop most, and that is listening skills. Right. Listening to understand as opposed to listening to reply. I think our leadership can go a long way if they were to just employ that. Because when you go to Toastmasters, you're not speaking every time, but you do have an active role as an audience member. And a lot of people don't know how to be an audience member. How do you give that energy transference back and forth between the speaker and the
1: audience?
2: That's a huge part is learning how to be an audience member. Then you sit and you listen to people's stories, and then you have to evaluate and give feedback. And oftentimes you have to stand up and deliver what your feedback is, right? The compliment sandwich. I think you did this really well. I think there's opportunity for growth in this area and perhaps consider this, keep going.
0: I think this show, I accidentally learned that some on because of the lack of prep again. Basically, if I have a bunch of questions and I'm ready to go down through them, then you're talking and I'm just thinking, what's my next question here? Um,
1: He's so full of it, (laughs) but
0: without that, a little bit of prep, uh, (laughs) basically I found the easiest way to do the show just by being lazy is listen to the guest and then just butt in when I have something, a question to ask, (laughs) you'll say something that'll trigger something, which reminds me earlier you said, so I do occasionally write something down. You said the second thing you want people to take away, the audience wants you to win. Um, I want to take a quick break, but after the break, I want to come back and have you address, what's the first thing you want people to take away here? Number one thing. Not yet, after the right after break. yep. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta wait yeah, through. Yeah, I the-
1: wanna hear it. Number one thing, we want the audience to take away.
0: All right, well you're listening to the If You Market podcast, if you didn't already know, and we have uh, Keith Bailey on talking about storytelling and how to prevent audience abuse. We'll be right back.
2: Yeah, so I'm Jason Webb, uh, intellectual property attorney at Pearson Butler. Pearson Butler, we do a lot of different kinds of law, pretty much everything you can imagine. My group does
0: intellectual property, and what we do is we identify points of fear and vulnerability and replace them with hope and opportunity. And we do that by creating protection
2: so that our people can be at peace and can stand out while they execute their vision. Do you have any questions about intellectual property, or if you have something that you feel is valuable that needs to be protected, feel free to reach out. You can reach me at jasonw at pearsonbutler.com. Pearson is P-A-R like the fruit, S-O-N like the child, and then Butler is like you'd expect it to be spelled.
0: Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We have Keith Bailey here. Still, such a long break. He's still here with us, and we're talking about storytelling and how to prevent unintentional. want to make sure we added that in there. Unintentional Unintentional audience 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 abuse. abuse. If you do it on purpose, then I suppose you know what you're doing. So Keith before the break I'd mentioned that you had thrown out the the second thing for people to take away. The audience wants you to win. What's the number one thing?
2: The number one thing is is as a speaker you want to give gifts to your audience. Storytelling is a gift because it allows them to relate with you. But the number one thing you can gift that you can give your audience is pause. <laughs> silence is one of the most powerful things within the story because it does one of several things. One, it'll build tension, right? You're coming upon the, the precipice of the action and it's about to happen. And you pause the audience is, is it gets them closer to the edge of their seat. That's one thing that, that uh, pausing does when we tell stories because they're relatable, the audience is, is in their mind is having, is moving along and having that same experience in their mind. When you pause, You give them the gift of allowing them to experience that story in their own minds. If someone is left the room mentally, right? And they're on their own little journey. When you pause, because it's a disruption and a change in pace of how you were speaking, that listener hears that break and comes back into the room again. the objective of when we speak is to keep people with us as much as we possibly can. And one of the best things you can do is to add pauses into your presentation and to not speak at you know an iambic pentameter where it's just this this cadence yeah. that lulls into this steady pattern and I, you're still telling the story and you i've lost you've lost me
1: <laughs> it I, may
0: be why we oh. breathe and speak through the same hole yeah. it's forcing <laughs> us to pause
1: okay okay <laughs> God yeah. I was like, we gotta shut you up for just a second. Just <laughs> even take- if you don't
0: want to, you gotta pause your <laughs> <a> breath, man. <gasps> and then, <laughs> if you find yourself short of breath, then you're not pausing enough.
1: No, but yeah, you know what? What do we call you know the poetic pause, the three second pause, the
0: the pregnant, the pause. pregnant
1: pause, yeah, well, the awkward in music, pause. Basically. It doesn't matter. It's like it does. like, what? What happened? Wait, what? <laughs> Right, yeah,
0: you can't get in a house without an empty spot in the wall to walk through called the door. Like music, if you cram all the notes together, it doesn't sound good, even in emails. I, the number one advice I give people frequently is that's too big a chunk of text, you got to break it up, do some bullet points, and you're basically letting them hit the pauses, take little, little consumable chunks in there.
1: Well, look at the telenovelas and the soap operas. I mean, what do they do? Seriously, what do they do at the end of every scene? They give a pause, right? Like, oh. you know, Joellen's <laughs> pregnant. <gasps>
2: <laughs> you guys know what uh, uh, Cedric the Entertainer is?
1: What? Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Cedric the, Cedric the Entertainer, he's got a great bit. It's called Que Ora <laughs> and It's Spanish for, for people uh, of, of everything I learned in the second grade. And it's, it is this soap opera, where people come in and be like, donde <laughs> right? And it's just all like remedial Spanish, but it's the whole pauses and the drama behind it. it, it it's absolutely hilarious. Totally
1: and telenovela, Beethoven, right? Totally. Yes,
2: totally telenovela. You know, it's something to what you said, Sky, is, is Beethoven said that the music happens between the notes and it's the exact same thing in storytelling. The story, tell- the story happens between the pauses. Yeah,
1: because it's sometimes what they didn't say.
0: And I've heard comedians say this too. Like they say the number one thing comedians when they first start out get wrong is they go up and they just tear through all their jokes. And they're like, you got a five minute set. You got four more minutes to fill. What happened? They're like, "Oh, when I was practicing, I wasn't just kind of throwing it out there so fast. I actually probably delivered and paused and was more natural and, and whatnot."
1: Yeah, I remember the Rat and Pack. We- the Rat Pack would drink between their you know jokes and stuff, right? But there maybe pausing. that was their
0: mechanism to remember yeah. to pause. <laughs> that was their
1: okay. to, to
2: pause and to breathe.
0: <laughs> now it's- I've seen people do it too much. If you listen to some AM radio, I've turned been going through stations before and just heard like wait how come there's no sound on this station oh and then the person started talking i was like oh this guy's got a four-hour show and he's got one hour of content so he's putting five seconds between like in the middle of sentences and stuff as if it's
1: he's just filling time that's not a story emphasizing
0: something. i'm like yeah you can pause too much sometimes
2: agreed so the right amount of pausing
0: fantastic. Um, we're really burning through time here. One more thing I want to make sure the listeners can get from you, uh, from you, Keith, is some examples. Uh, you know, we, we touched just lightly on on emails for storytelling with the pausing thing I'd mentioned, but can you give some examples of within the different mediums, how people can use stories? Because uh, obviously if you're giving a, getting up and giving a presentation, you can put in multiple stories in your presentation, but If you're sending a text message or if you're, you know, sending an email or using an image in an online campaign or something, um, how can you use storytelling in all these different mediums?
2: I think there's some great examples out there and it's usually the, the really big companies that are doing it. Well, uh, Nike has one has Serena Williams in it. And it's, uh, I think it's like play like a girl. Mm -hmm. I, it's very powerful. Never at any point do they say, and we make apparel and all this sports equipment. They talk about the why behind it. Uh, Budweiser commercials with the Clydesdale and the dog. It's never about the beer. It's about family and community and coming together. That's that's Doctor Procter and Gamble.
1: It's all about the moms washing all the clothes of all the Olympians, right? Yep.
2: <laughs> exactly. Every commercial you, you, you watch, the good commercials are telling that, that why story. So lead with your why in an email format. We have a tendency to explain ourselves in long text and and paragraphs as to what our ask is and to your point, Scott, yeah, break it up, put some bullet points in there, please. But then we wait until the very end to do our ask. So what my wife actually taught me this is write your email as you would go to the end, find your ask, move it to the very top. Let that be the very first sentence. That's
0: probably the number two thing I always tell people. You know, that's funny.
1: That's what we do in the news. We Mm -hmm. take a story and then we reverse engineer it to where the crux of the news like that, you know, is at the very top. And if that's all people take away from it, that's what they take away from it. But if they want to read the rest of it, they can read the rest of it and get all the color.
2: Yep. And then the the reason why somebody read that first part of that news clipping is because the headline captured them. So, have a headline in your subject line that is not a repetition of what all the rest of the communication was, but put something enticing on there for when they open it up, they're gonna look at something specific, right? For me, I always put my ask is, uh, following up on uh, two two quick questions, right? Something that gives a snapshot of when I open up this email, this is what I'm going to see. And I don't have to go digging through all this reason why you're asking me this stuff.
1: Yeah. That reminds me of uh, another marketer that I know. He's very bravado and he's a coach and, you know, salesman and stuff like, but he'll start off and he's like, I want you to buy for me. And this is why. And then he'll, you know, starts right off and you're kind of like, that's like really kind of cocky. Right. But, and then he goes into it, but you get used to that. People love him. He has this like humongous following. Right. You
0: just said that though. And I was thinking now I want to know why.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I do want to know. Okay, you said very, I'm in. I know exactly what's going on. I know. Yeah. I want to know why. Look, uh, I'm going to
1: sell you. I'm going to sell you really well. And this is what's going on. Like, you know, don't like, what do we say? In, like in the South, don't pussyfoot around. Just get to the point. Right. Yeah.
2: Get to the point while I still care. Yeah.
1: While you have my attention. Yeah.
2: Which is a misconception in storytelling as well. People feel like they have to tell this long bravado story. The best stories, short stories. Yeah, thirty. seconds. So wouldn't do a down her
1: throat if her ass was on fire. That's a short <laughs> that's story.
0: A hell of a story. <laughs> All right, put that in haiku form, and we got ourselves a hit.
1: <laughs> Keith will never forget us. I'm making yeah. sure we have don't have unintentional audience abuse. With
0: you know you. that's how I'm going to introduce you now, Carla. Jo- okay. oh, she wouldn't spit down your throat if your ass was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was fantastic. Keith, uh, anything, any last bits of wisdom uh, you have to share that we've missed out on here on storytelling, how to prevent, prevent unintentional abuse.
2: Don't take yourself too seriously. Thank it, you. It, it, people relate to, to people because, especially when they're human. So when you get up on stage, smile, <laughs> smile at your audience. Yeah. Maybe that's the number one thing. Get up there and smile at them because they want you to win. And then give them what they what they want. Give them a story. Fantastic,
0: Carla Joe. I think me and you have nailed the "don't take it seriously" part.
1: I think. <laughs> I think we've got that one nailed. Absolutely.
0: We got to work on a lot of stuff, but that we one. do. But. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Well, we'll have a lot of information here in the show notes for you, including some example videos uh, from Keith. Um, YouTube cat shaving video. We're going to throw in there for you. The
1: really? uh, website. Did we get to see that.
2: I have to. I have to. I've got to post it somewhere. I'll. Uh, I'll give it a day. Yeah, okay. Good. We'll, we'll make okay, him find good.
1: it. <laughs> and, Let's do that. Uh, I'm so. I want to see. Yeah. I'll find never forget Keith, you.
0: <laughs> find him at uh, articulate-intelligence.com or uh, on LinkedIn, of course. You just put his name like like uh, anyone else. Company profile on LinkedIn. We'll have in the show notes as well. Uh, e course um, on storytelling for interviewing. We have coming up. Is that ready, Keith? They're still in the works.
2: Uh, it's a, all of it's being videoed right now. We did our uh, our pre-launch to a live audience uh, two weeks ago and it was incredibly successful. Uh, the, the, the thing we found out is, is job interviewing. If you're out there looking for a job, it's a short story.
1: I really That's wish you... applicants today would send us videos, a short video and tell a story of who they are along with their video. I have, you know, the guys that do that, which is very, very rare, but I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, interview them first, like, you know,
2: and that's what this course teaches you is how to look back over your resume of experiences, find some relevant stories, how to shape them, add some color, some tactility to it, uh, craft it, and then be able to share it. I'm a
1: badass. This is why you should hire me. Boom.
0: I know where that cat shaving video is. Keith, it's in your resume. (laughs) Just check there. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Hobbies. Um, yep.
0: Check there. All right. Well, you can find the show notes and more information on Keith Bailey on the if dot com site. Please uh, share the show with your friends. I don't know. Give it to them for their birthday, Christmas. Any, anything you can think of. there. Uh, tell a, tell friend, a story
1: when you send it. When you share it with yeah. them. Don't forget to tell a story.
0: Story about you. I was listening to this podcast and we had they had this guy on Keith Bailey and he shaves cats, man. Um, he also does something else, but he shaves cats. And uh, yeah. Subscribe, give us a good review on iTunes and on behalf of uh, Carla Jo Helms, who wouldn't spit down your throat if your ass was on fire and the If You Market team and Keith Bailey, who shaves cats. Also, it's at articulated intelligence. Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it without
1: unintentional audience abuse and storytelling,
0: (laughs) then they will come. Should you find yourself in need of targeted lists for sales and marketing campaigns, have a look at topdatasearch.com. Our platform lets you quickly and easily search and download lists with email, phone, mailing address, everything you need for your sales and marketing campaigns. So if like many of our clients, you're sick of the high cost, poor data quality, and poor service of your current list provider, go to topdatasearch.com and get a free account, no seat fees, no subscription necessary. You only pay for data when you need it. Use the promo code IfYouMarket 1000 and get an extra thousand free download credits. That's topdatasearch.com.